1: Hey everyone! Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome back to the Layer of News podcast. This is episode one eleven. I am Jake Bennett, and joining me, as always, is my wonderful co-host, Mister Michael Durinda. How's it going, dude? Hello. Good. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are the wildfires?
0: Wildfires are mostly under control now. Um, there's still a few going. There's parts of the country that are like flooding. My parents are really on holiday still, so they're up in uh, in Queensland, and it's it's quite torrential. At, up there and there's wildfires approaching canberra which is the nation's capital so oh my if it's not one thing it's another in australia i think it was i think it got to 41 degrees celsius on thursday and then oh, it wow. rained all friday and all saturday yeah so it's
1: always something if it's not that it's uh killer killer drop bears and um kangaroos and That's it. wallabies and snakes in the attic and all sorts of crazy stuff
0: the creatures are all out to get us.
1: Indeed. Well, hey man, today we've got a short show because we have um I think I can't remember if it was because we were behind on our last episode or if we're early on this episode. I can't yeah. exactly remember to I be think, real honest. I think
0: one of us went to Disney World when we were supposed to record. Oh and my then, gosh. How was it? Did you have a good time?
1: Yeah, it was the
0: best. Such a oh, long time. No, that to was go. me. That was me. Yeah.
1: Sorry. <laughs> and we did have a good time. Thanks for asking. It was wonderful. It was a good it was a good little break. Um good. Yeah. So we've got like four official things to cover and then before the show we said, you know what? We're just going to go for it. We're just going to share some of the things that we found in the community links. So I've got a couple blog posts uh, by our friends over at Titan that I have read in the past and thought were worth sharing. Uh, I've got a couple packages from Spacy that I thought was worth sharing, were worth sharing. And then I have one other thing to talk about Theracon online. And I think you've got a couple things in the bag there too. So this is just kind of going to be a a potpourri if you will just mix it up yep give it mix a, bit it of a
0: shake and hope that it smells nice
1: absolutely okay so 6.13 laravel 6.13 was released so let's take a look at that so that was released this week uh with the ability to format implicit validation attributes and a new ensure directory exists file system method which that could have been really helpful a couple of years ago oh my word <laughs> quick story i'm guessing this works for s3 I'm guessing. Nope. Sorry, that's file system, not fly system. Dang it. Oh my. There okay. Are, so
0: there are no there are no directories in S3.
1: Right. Yeah. It's just keys. Right. Yeah. Keys. Yeah. So what I had to re- resort to doing for that, which by the way, I think if you use the actual underlying S3 agent or driver or whatever, you actually can. Checks. There's like a method on there. I think. Mm. But it's not necessarily compatible with Fly System. they don't have it like across the board. So, anyway, FYI. But yeah, so I had to resort to dropping this .s3 file in there, and then I just check to see if a .s3 file exists at that location, because you can't see if a directory exists, but you can see if a file exists. Yeah. yeah. So I just drop a .s3 and a .s3 file in that says I exist, and then um, every once in a while, I have people complain like, "What is this .s3 file in here? What, what does this mean?" You know, because they don't understand. Yeah, but anyway, I digress. Okay, so uh, allow formatting implicit validation attributes. So Muhammad Saeed contributed a PR that allows a validator to configure a custom formatter for an implicit attribute. So instead of like if you were if you were looking at a array and you were validating values that were in an array. So if you're passing in ages an array, and sometimes you'll do like star dot age must be an integer, right? So arrow sign integer. Basically, it would pre- previously say zero dot age must be an integer, because it's looking at the first key. Mm-hmm. Dot age must be an integer, and so now you can make it so that it'll format that to say age at line one must be an integer or something yeah. like that. So you can yeah. basically, you know, modify what that validation uh, looks like. So that's pretty handy. Uh, and then in addition, Taylor contributed the ensure directory exists method method for the file system class. So file system is different than fly system. If you're using fly system and you're using the local driver, it's using the file system behind the scenes. So it has a couple methods that that fly system doesn't give you, such as ensure directory exists. But if you know you're just going to be using your local file system anyway, you can just use file system instead of fly system. Is it fly system? Is that what it's called? Fly system, right? Fly system. Yep, that's what it's called. Uh, Okay, one other thing. Storage URL uh, is now available for the FTP driver. So we've had this for MySQL and for Redis, where you have this, I believe this is how this works, basically where you have like the whole connection string Mm -hmm. in the in the like database.php config. So instead of having to put in a host and a username and a password and a port and all that stuff, you can just use like a connection URL string. I believe that's what this is talking about for the FTP driver. You just have a storage URL for that. And if I'm wrong, somebody please correct me. It's possible. It is possible.
0: Isn't the URL to get the publicly accessible? I mean, I suppose for an FTP file, you wouldn't necessarily be publicly accessible, but for things like the local disk or the public disk you would have that would return a url to your application and for the s3 driver that would return a link to the the s3 you know whether it's a signed url or whatever let's see michael let's see
1: yep you're right that's exactly what it does it says currently it's not possible to generate a url for files that are stored on an ftp disk using the storage url This PR allows to generate a URL by adding a URL key in the configuration of the disk, the same way local and S3 do. So yes, I stand corrected. That's exactly what it was. And so this was merged five days ago.
0: Yep. Nice.
1: Shadow Walker 89. Thanks, Shadow Walker 89. So there you go. That is 6.13.0. So those are the few highlights. There are, of course, uh, a couple more, some fixes, some stuff like that. So if you want to see the full changelog, you can check that out in the show notes. Yeah. All right. Next, we have a package called PHP Spellchecker. It's a really cryptic name. Michael, I'm hoping you can help us understand what this is.
0: Yeah. I've had to go dive deep into the source code to understand what this spell checker library does. (laughs) It is... No, I haven't. It's in the first line of the description. PHP Spellchecker is a library providing a way to spell check multiple sources of text by many spell checkers. The library provides an abstraction layer with a unified interface for various spell checkers with support for the following out of the box. We've got A spell, Hun spell, Is spell, PHP, P spell, language tools, and multi spell checker. Essentially, you can just create a new instance of your spell checker. So if you're using A spell, you could use A spell colon colon create and then pass it your text to be checked. And then you can iterate over. The misspelling so if there's any misspelled words in that you can iterate over it you've got a get word get line number get offset get suggestions get context so you can check spelling of a text file for example and you just tell it you want to do a file so uh, be sure to check out the php spell check documentation which will include complete details installation and usage instructions too as a link in the show notes
1: that's really interesting actually so i like that you can pass it like a whole string of text and then you just say Give me all the stuff. So if you ever do that like online or whatever, where you say, hey, spell check this thing for me quick. And then it shows you back like, hey, did you mean, like it highlights the the word and then says, maybe here's some suggestions for what it might be, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, pretty interesting. That's kind of cool. I like that. All right, we've also got uh, a uh, package that allows you to encrypt database values in Laravel with DB Encrypter. So this is a package by Daniel Sidesky. Oh, My word, this must be it's Polish, I think.
0: Yeah, possibly yeah.
1: Daniel Czenski. Czenski, there we go. So, this automatically encrypts and decrypts values stored in a database field. Uh, it uses Laravel's standard encryption uh, and it works by adding a trait. So, you add the use encryptable DB attribute. And then you create a new protected property called Encryptable. And then you pass an array of attributes that you would like to encrypt and decrypt. So basically, I suppose what this does is it encrypts your database. You're going to have to help me here. It encrypts your database at rest, essentially, right? Because it's a storing in an encrypted date. So, yeah.
0: so it's essentially taking whatever that text is that you're... So if you've got a, an email address, right, as one of these fields... When you save, my guess is that it's just using the eloquent mutators in order to read these properties and then go, yep, we need to encrypt this value. And then it will store that as the encrypted value using Laravel's encryption library under the hood. So the only thing to be mindful of this is that when you encrypt a string, it's going to be much longer typically than what the value that you are encrypting is. So if you are planning on doing this, you'll need to make those fields, text fields, so that you don't truncate the value.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what it does, by the way, too. It uses the get attribute and set attribute methods. It overrides those on your model. So if you're doing anything with those uh, specifically, uh, you just want to make sure that you're you're checking that out before you throw this in there. But, yeah, it looks really cool. And, actually, I think we've tried to implement this manually before, or we maybe do have it uh, implemented manually We do for sure, actually. I know we do in a couple places. So this would be a nice little extraction there. Pretty cool. Okay, then we have Treeware License. So talk to us about Treeware License. I can guess what it is, but Mm -hmm. I want you to tell me about it first.
0: Treeware was created by James Mills and Phil Sturgeon, which is a new style of software distribution similar to postcardware distributed by the author on the condition that users buy the author a tree. Partnering up with Offset Earth, which we've spoken about on this podcast before, there is a a Laravel Offset Earth where you can purchase some trees. Treeware's goal is to plant trees and fund the world's best climate crisis solutions. They chose Offset Earth because they operate transparently with a minimal service fee, which they use to spread the message through social marketing. So you can go to treeware.earth, which will give you all the information you need to get started and make your own open source treeware. It also includes a simple way for you to submit your packages once you have out of the treeware conditions of use text. Getting started is as easy as three steps. First of all, you create your open source package. Then you add treeware. So you update your README file to include our treeware or the treeware project's conditions of use text. And this will provide people with a way to buy trees for the treeware forest on offset.earth. And then you can sit back and watch your forest grow. If you do want some more information and and, uh, get started with this, you can head over to treeware.earth.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. So they've got a treeware badge as well, which you can use in your project. So if you're wanting to uh, support the treeware badge, they've got a uh, little thing that you can use for that to put that on your package as well. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's a great idea. I love that. I would be like not shocked to see Spassi be like, hey, we're ditching this and going everything treeware now. Yeah. It's like postcardware is great. We're doing treeware. Something like that. That'd be cool. It'd be cool if you actually could see how many trees have been planted, like on your behalf. That'd be kind. I'm of pretty cool.
0: sure you can if you go can to you? the yeah, yeah yeah. So for example, is this going to work? If you go to offset offset earth forward yeah. slash laravel.
1: Well, offset earth actually has slash tree where now. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it says offset slash tree where. Yeah, pretty sweet. Nice. So 204 trees planted.
0: So yeah, as I said, we've we've spoken about the Laravel one before. If you go to offset.earth/laravel, we have uh, planted trees to offset carbon emissions for six months, which is a total of thirty one point nine nine tons. And in the Laravel forest, there are twenty three thousand six hundred and sixteen trees at this time. So wow, so, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, if you want to get involved in the initiative, whether it's the you know, whether you're contributing to your own forest or if you're adding to the Laravel forest, doesn't matter. Trees are trees that are being planted, all to help try and wind the clock back a little bit on the this place we call home. So yeah, if you know, every now and then I'll just remember, you know, it's come up again. So I'll go and drop some more trees into the forest. So definitely check it out. Whether you want to add it to your own packages if you're an open source maintainer or if you want to just contribute to someone else's. And and as I said, if you hit Offset.earth slash Laravel, you can contribute to the Laravel community's little forest.
1: Yeah, this is really awesome. Offset Earth has some incredible branding, like their branding and their communication style is really good. And I love the whole little, like, you can see the little forest. Yeah. It looks really cool. Wow. I'm like, I've, you know, I know this has been going on for a while, the, um, all the tree stuff mm-hmm. and I, this is literally the first time I've visited the site though. This is pretty <laughs> awesome. I know that's probably shameful, but it's true. I'm not going to front. Yeah, looks good though. Looks very cool.
0: We're, uh, we're a little slow, we're a little little slow this month. So, yeah, <laughs> get on there, everyone, and, <laughs> exactly. and chip in some trees.
1: Exactly. Hey, uh, I think this is actually a great time to talk about our sponsor. So, uh, sponsoring the podcast this week is a company called About You. So, have you ever wanted to relocate to Hamburg, Germany? Or have you ever wanted to be paid? to learn German, or have you ever wanted to get paid to become a expert in Laravel if you're not yet, or in Vue, or if you're not yet, because you have to be an expert at one of them probably to land the job. But About You is very interested in investing in lifelong learning with their developers. So About You is an award-winning organization, and they're the fastest growing e-commerce company in Europe. So they're located in Hamburg, Germany. They've got 8 million app installs, 15 million active users, and a company valuation of more than a billion dollars. So one third of their employees are developers and they come from over 40 different nations. So they they have a passion to develop one of the best products on the market, and to facilitate that, they've really put a lot of work into making sure that the developers are happy. They have an organizational model called Move, which allows you to switch teams to ensure lifelong learning. So they've built all their software in-house using Laravel, Node, TypeScript, Vue, React, and they are also using technologies that are more recent like Flutter. They've got a lot of perks like free drinks, fresh fruits, free language courses, and they'll even help you relocate so that sounds this sounds like something you'd be interested in you should definitely check them out at about slash hiring thanks again about you for sponsoring the show hey okay so i've got a couple items blog posts to talk about here but do you have anything you want to jump in with first before i start
0: going on a uh
1: you know a rampage or are you uh
0: I'm, I'm, I'm happy to let you uh flick out your first couple and we'll see where we go from there.
1: Okay, so let's start with developing blocker-friendly websites. So what do I mean by a blocker-friendly website? Michael,
0: what is a blocker? Something that I run in all of my browsers so that uh, I don't have to wait for 15,000 different ad libraries to load
1: Agreed. It's, it's always amazing to me when I use a browser that somebody doesn't have ad blocking on, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been to the site a hundred times and I've never seen all this mm-hmm. garbage cruft, right? So I run a couple ad blockers. I actually run ad block and I also run ghostery. Mm-hmm. And so I run both of those all the time, every site. And actually sometimes it does break the website that I'm using, right? It's like, there's like the, some mysterious breakage and I have no idea why. And so one of the first things I have to do is try and Disable ghostry or disable the ad block thing. And then all of a sudden it starts working, right? Typically that's like a ghostry sort of thing. But Sarah Bine over at Titan, a good friend of mine, funny story. When I first met Sarah, it was in New York city and we were at Laracon. Uh, It was the first time I was in New York city and it was raining and we all shared a cab. It was me and her and Jordan and, um, oh my gosh, she's going to kill me for forgetting her name captain what's her face
0: oh amanda amanda
1: yeah thank you yeah sorry amanda we love you anyway we all shared a cab ride so that's how i met sarah and now she's a lead she's the lead programmer over at titan so anyway she wrote up a blog post on developing blocker friendly websites so she has a couple suggestions for how you can overcome people who are using these blocking software pieces right and by that, she doesn't mean trick them into turning them off. She just means how do you keep your website friendly for people who are using those? So she has a couple suggestions, and here they are: keep third-party scripts to a minimum. So one of the easiest things you can do is to avoid loading third-party scripts. That means anything that's not hosted on your primary domain. In addition to being, you know, a security or a privacy concern for a person who's using an ad blocker, it can also be a really big drag on your site's performance. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's best to kind of stay away from them if you can. Another thing you can do is to actually, and this is a really weird one, but I've done that a couple of times, test your site with JavaScript disabled. I know that's a big one, right? Like, oh no, my view, my beautiful view or my Alpine or your React or whatever it is, right? So most modern internet browsers will still provide an option for the user to browse uh, with JavaScript disabled. It's typically only like the really hardcore security nerds that do this. They actually browse with JavaScript disabled, but people do it. And it's also a good way to see uh, what it would be like for somebody who came and maybe didn't load your JavaScript on the site, right? So checking your website with your JavaScript disabled will give you a firsthand experience basically with those failure scenarios. So you'll be able to implement backup solutions for those people. Uh, One of the things you can do with that is display messages when scripts don't load. So if you haven't ever used a no script tag before, you can do that. And all the browsers implement this. So in the case that javascript is not load or is not active you just put some text between no script tags and you can display messages to anyone with javascript completely disabled that of course does not help ghostery users who are only blocking third-party requests but in that case you can still write in the case that we have people with disabled javascript You can still use that. She mentions a site here called the Electronic Frontier Foundation's donations page. And she said this is a great example of this technique in action. So when their Stripe checkout fails, they show a helpful message explaining what to do to allow the scripts to run in order to fix it, right? So hey, you might want to check out your ad blocker or see if ghostry is running and stop using that. She has a couple other things I'm just going to mention here quickly. She asks you to use descriptive image alt text. So when the image fails to load, it will load in the alt text as well. This is an accessibility thing. You should probably be doing it anyway. And then if your site relies on ad revenue, host acceptable ads locally. So you can... You know, ad blockers do exactly what they say, which is they block ads. Uh, a lot of those people, for security reasons, they're uncomfortable with uh, data collection um, and they don't want to be targeted, retargeted on other sites, right? So if your site relies on ad revenues, try to host text based ads instead of image based ads. They'll end up eating up less bandwidth and, you know, more of your users will be able to get those. So there's a couple of quick suggestions. I thought that was good. And there you go. Thanks, Sarah. Appreciate it.
0: Nice. Another one I have here is from Dwight Watson and it talks about separating admin routes in Laravel. And whilst the post itself is around specifically separating admin routes, it could be used to separate any of your routes. So if you've ever cracked open your route service provider, you will see that there's a map method in that. And inside that map method, there's a call to map API routes and map web routes. And these are just defaults that are set up by Laravel that set default middlewares, default namespaces, default group. And then you can just essentially load your routes directly from a file in in the base path, in the example of the, the map API and the map web route. So it goes base path route slash api.php and base path route slash web.php. Now, if you've got a more mature application or a bigger application you can have a lot of routes and sometimes if you're namespacing them under admin or if you've got a users section or a services or a customers it can get a bit unwieldy to deal with that and so this is one approach of separating that out in your route service provider you could create a map customer routes you could create a map user routes map admin routes map whatever and then they're all there the, the one downside, I suppose, with this approach is that it kind of obscures the location of those routes because they're not in your main routes file. So what I have seen is doing this in the web.php. So you could have routes, web.php, and within there, you could have a group that loads from a the, from the file, and that works nicely. Oh, that's and nice. And that, that means that at least you can see that there are other route files in your application. Now, typically, you're always going to store the route files in that routes folder, but it's not necessarily clear if, if you're not familiar with a convention or if you don't know to look in the route service provider that that's where those files are being loaded from. So a couple of different approaches to that, but certainly something that you can consider as your application starts to grow.
1: One of the things that we do, at, which is actually really helpful... Is a lot of times there's if you've ever made one of these where you just kind of create a test route in your web.php to get to some like deep buried uh, view that you have that mm-hmm. you that you're working on, but you don't want to get all the way through the application to get through like it's, maybe it's the end of a checkout flow or something, mm-hmm. right? And you show this result page or this receipt page, and you, you're sick of having to go through the process to get all the way there. Or maybe you want a I don't know if you'd want to test at that point to do it that way, but like more of like visually, I want to be able to see that. So some of our developers on our team, what they've taken to doing is creating a development route. And what they'll do is in the map, they'll say, if uh, environment is local, then load up the development route. And mm-hmm. so you can also use that to render like mailables to the browser as well. So if you're, you know, if you don't want to, have to send the email to yourself. You can also render the mailable to to uh, your browser and take a look at it there. Um, mm-hmm. This has been really really helpful pattern actually. So w- yeah. we use this on I think two or three of our applications now, where we just have this development route. And so you log in there, and it's just got buttons like a bunch of buttons. The like the kind of the main we have like a main index basically for the mm-hmm. development routes. And then it just has buttons that that go to all these different places, which are, um, you know, individual spots where you'd want to go in the case of like, Hey, we had a bad payment and this is the page that you go to, or somebody tried to log in log in, but their file is, um, they're not eligible to log in right now or it's inaccessible or it's closed or something like that, right? So all those different kind of little states that are difficult to get to, we'll use development routes for that. So that's been pretty cool. I really like that. Shout out Michael Lee. Way to go,
0: Michael Lee. Good job. Yeah. Yeah, we've done that kind of stuff as well in a couple of our applications where we kind of will lock out certain things behind an authorization check or whatever. So we'll say if or or an environment check. So we'll go if app local or if app dev And then we've got the ability to just log in a user, like just log straight in without having to go through Active Directory and things like that. Yeah, Just just little things like that that make the development process a bit easier. Yeah. And it's nice too if you have them like in a
1: namespace like development routes because then you know. If I want to get there, I know that's where I need to go look. Uh, I like the idea that you had of just loading them in through uh like straight in the web.php though like i think i like that way better than doing it in the route service provider if i'm trying to break them up by concern essentially like if i have admin routes that are going to always be loaded i would definitely do it through web.php instead of in the route service provider i think that's a cool way to mm-hmm. do it and also then you don't have to redo the web middleware and all that stuff that gets loaded on the service provider too yeah cool I like that nice okay Uh, We have another one by Chris Trombley, who also happens to be a Titan employee. This was written March 15th of 2019, and I've used this a couple times. The title of his blog post is Tidying Up Your PHP Unit Tests with Data Providers. So essentially what data providers allow you to do uh, is define a public method that returns an array of data sets to be used in your test. So then what you do is you, in the test that you're going to run, you use an annotation to point at this new method that will provide it this data that it's wanting to get, and then you just pass the data set as an argument to the test method. So think, for instance, if I have, let's say I'm writing a first name, last name formatter. I want to be able to pass in Jake space Bennett or Jake space, J space Bennett, or Bennett comma Jake or all these different things. And I want to be able to break it up into first name, last name, or intelligently do that. Or maybe I pass the name of a business or I pass a suffix like junior or senior. There's a bunch Mm -hmm. of different things I would want to test in that case. In reality, what I would probably do is I'd probably write test methods for each of those for different situations, possibly. But what you can also use is a data provider like this. And essentially all you do is you create this uh, data provider method. And then in an array, you return an array of all the different inputs that you'd want to pass along to that test. You annotate that test, pointing it to that data provider method, and then you accept an argument in that test function, and then you use that value in your test. So it will just iterate over all those returned values, and then it will test them against all of those. And if any of them fail, then you know, and you can go fix it. Uh, so this is really cool. The example he gives is form uh, is using form validation. So he wanted to test to see that the name is required, the company is required, the email is required, and what happens in each situation. The, the post is quite code heavy, so I'm not going to go into all of it. But it is a great strategy uh, that I've <laughs> used probably, I don't know. A number of times since i saw this blog post and he was definitely the first one to introduce me to it the first time i'd ever seen it so uh good write-up chris uh, trombley and if you think that's interesting we'll throw that in the show notes
0: yeah yeah i love the data providers especially when you're testing the same code path with different inputs right yeah and making sure that you're getting the the correct outputs from all of that yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's always handy. There's, there's some,
1: I tried to introduce it just as like a really simple concept and it is like, you can use it at that, as that uh very simple level there, but there is uh like kind of what Michael was saying, like you can actually pass an input and you can actually pass like custom errors and, and all sorts of things. So like when something goes wrong, you can have a descriptive message for what happened. Yeah. Like I said, it's a code-heavy uh, blog post, and, but it's very, very interesting, and it's it's worth a read. It's only an eight-minute read, so yeah,
0: check that out. Definitely. The, the next one that I've got here is the last one that I've got is an article by Dries Vince, which is talking about being productive. And in his recap for 2019 post, talked about some of the things that he wanted to do more of this year, and one of those things was writing more blog posts. And whilst January is over at the time of this recording, he said he figured it was a good time to write the first post of 2020. And the idea of this post was just to talk a little bit about how he uses his to-do list and that he's, you know, depending a lot on to-do list apps. And in, in his instance, he's using things. So um, he goes into a bit of detail about how pretty much everything goes in there, how he has alternative to-dos, how he's got hidden to-dos um, and things that let him down as well, which I think is important. I'm, I'm very good at adding things to my to-do list, but I'm not very good at marking them off <laughs> um I, I you know i put them in there so i don't forget them but then i forget to check the to-do list because it's not it's not really part of my regular workflow unfortunately and, I, and, and as many times as i've tried to get into it i just can't like yeah creating creating cards in jira and and issues and tickets and things like that in in GitLab, i'm just really really bad at it and i just i'll just go and do the thing that i need to do and get it done and then two, three weeks later or a month later, I'll go like, oh, I should add something to my to-do list and then find all of these things that I've done over the last month or haven't done. Exactly. Um, yeah. So you know, if anyone's got any tips on on sticking to a to-do list and doing, you know, even if it's just as, as simple as when you get to work in the morning, open your to-do list and look at what's there. If I can make it part of my regular routine, that would probably be very useful to me. So... Yeah, if you've got any tips on on how to live with a to-do list, then I'm all ears.
1: Yeah, I know that like at base camp, because uh, like I, I'm the same way, right? Like somebody, there, there's just too many things to do in a day, right? So you have mm. people who s- like just swing by your office or by your desk and like, hey, uh, I was thinking about this. I thought this would be an interesting thing that we could do that would help. Oh, yeah, great. That's a great idea. Like, yeah, throw it in an issue, maybe, right? Throw it on the to-do yeah. list write me an email yeah right exactly write me an email but then of course you, you know we have overflowing inboxes already as well
0: um yeah, yeah. tickets that are coming in telling them to write the email means that it onus is on them to actually remember to tell me about it
1: yeah yeah that's true and then you have a <laughs> record of it whatever uh what yeah. a lot of that ends up being is like these massive backlogs in your issue trackers right mm-hmm. and at Basecamp, i know they just talked about like delete your backlog like just literally delete the entire thing Like if you're not actively working on it right now, trash it. And if it's really that important, it'll come back up again. Right. Man, I've thought about doing that recently, just like trashing it all. Like I know there's some really good ideas in there, but the burden, the mental burden I have of like, Oh my gosh, we have so many freaking issues out there that need to be fixed. It's just like, you know, you'll never catch up. And so it's, and the thing is the problem that was really important six months ago that you haven't even looked at that issue in that long, it's no longer, it's, it's either, it was definitely not important enough that it needed to be taken care of in the six months. And things have mm-hmm. changed so much in the last six months. It's likely not, it's just not relevant anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like if it literally could wait for that long, it can just never be done. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And having that backlog is also important to have periodic backlog pruning, where you go through and you look at those things. And even if it's only once a month where you go and look at things and go, yeah, this is three months old and no one's brought it up. So it's probably not worth being here anymore. Delete it. And if it's important, someone will bring it up again. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. And a couple other
1: quick things. Uh, I just want to talk real quick about Laracon Online. So Laracon Online is coming up. It's on February 22nd. Buy your tickets if you haven't yet. They're still at the early bird pricing, I believe, which is $12. So if you haven't been able to get one, go ahead and grab one. It should be a really good online conference. We've got... Too late.
0: Too late. You have too, to pay full price oh, now.
1: You got to pay full price. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, my bad. In addition to attending Laracon Online, there are also a bunch of parties viewing parties happening around the nation and really around the globe i think there's some in i think i saw one in india there might be one in australia maybe probably no not in the middle of the night oh well hey not one that i'm organizing at least you should put one together (laughs) in the middle of the night an all-nighter that'd be great nah
0: yeah Um, too much sleeping
1: (laughs) yeah we're gonna have one in bloomington and we're gonna go do some axe throwing the night before and we're gonna go to dinner and we're gonna take everybody out and it's gonna be awesome it's going to be a great time. We'll pay for um, breakfast, be lunch. Safe. It's going to be Just so fun. Be safe. Yeah. You know, Just the other axes. thing I was going to think about maybe instead of the axe throwing was like one of those 8-bit eight ki- a, uh, barcades where they got those like retro games and stuff. Maybe do that.
0: Yeah. It's probably a bit safer for developers.
1: Yeah. I don't know, dude. Axe throwing. Uh-huh. Come on. It can't be that bad. Yeah. Axe throwing is well, like a thing now. Like they have these bars with like axe throwing. Have you seen this? You haven't
0: seen this. We don't have people that cuckoo over here. Oh,
1: yeah. Right, right. <laughs>
0: they don't throw axes they throw knives that's, right. that's not a knife this is a knife <laughs> Hey, just speaking of laricon we did publish the videos from Laracon au so they're all up on the Laracon website at laricon.com.au as well so if you want to check out there's really some excellent talks and i'm beyond proud of the speakers especially some of the first time speakers just some of the exposure they've had as a result of these videos going out now, you know, people that were at the conference spoke very highly of their presentations, but now seeing, I woke up this morning and saw some of the, some of the people in our community that are retweeting these videos makes me really, really happy for the, the people that are being retweeted. So yeah, that's awesome. Kudos to those speakers. I hope to have them back again and I hope to be able to discover some more speakers. So where we've just started the initial discussions for this year's Laracon AU. So it's going ahead again. And we'll firm up some dates and have some more details coming in the next couple of months. We we probably won't do a, a real big push for it until six months out. So somewhere around March, April we'll start to start doing the things. Awesome. Super cool. Yeah.
1: Okay, I've got like two more things here and then we can wrap it up. So GDPR. How many of you guys have to deal with that in girls? GDPR? Yeah. Okay. A Couple of you. Nope. Yep. Nope. No? Couple not? All right. So GDPR, I'm trying to remember what it st- what it even stands for. It's like data privacy something, right? General it Is the I don't, I don't know uh, what the uh,
0: general data protection regulation. Okay.
1: So basically protecting people's personal information, right? And a lot of us have heard about this because it basically affected a lot anybody who services European customers. The bad news is that the US, I mean it's bad news and good news, right? Like we actually are interested in the protection of people's data. We we're we're about that, right? We like that and that's fine. But unfortunately the lawmakers a lot of times don't have any clue how to put those things into effect and which is why GDPR is such a hot mess and mm-hmm. surprise GDPR is coming to the US and it's not called GDPR of course but in California, we have the CCPA, which is the California Consumer Protection Act. And the, the company that I work for is a company that's very concerned with compliance. We try to be a good actor in this space and make sure that we are complying with all laws and all that stuff. So we actually have a a lawyer who is just handling compliance stuff. So he keeps up with all the case law and things that are going on. And so we've recently had to start implementing some of these rules and they're very similar to GDPR where people can request all the information you have on them and then they need to be able to uh, have a copy of that information and this idea of like the right to be forgotten, which is like, you need to delete everything. And so... That that sucks. The good news is that there is a package that who made guess who.
0: Was it Spassi? It
1: was. Ba ba, da, ba spassi. And Spassi has a package called Laravel Personal Data Export. And so what this does, and this was featured on Laravel News a while ago, but it basically helps you create zip files containing personal data in your Laravel applications. So here's the little the little uh Headline for it. This package makes it easy to let a user download an export containing all the personal data. Such an export consists of a ZIP file containing all the user's properties and related info. So it allows you to uh, select all personal data from a bunch of different spots, and then it zips it up for you and delivers it to them. So it's pretty cool, really. And if it's something you have to deal with, which we're getting into this space right now, it's going to be something you're going to want to look at and. You know, it's only in California right now, but I know Washington is working on the law, some laws around this. It's just a matter of time before this is going to be a thing in the U.S. as well, like some form of it as anyway. Uh, So just wanted to kind of let people know as you're dealing with this, maybe getting out ahead of it. This Laravel personal data export package is out there and available. Along with that, there are a couple other packages I've been using from Spacy recently, dealing with PDFs. We've been automating some email processes where we get a PDF, and these two have been particularly helpful. One is called PDF to Text, and another, another is called PDF to Image. So, PDF to Text, as you may guess, is if you get a PDF that has selectable text in it. So sometimes you can take and drag your mouse across the PDF, and it actually selects that text. Right, so the text is actually embedded in the PDF. This PDF to Text package allows you to pull that text out of the PDF um, and then you can utilize it however you like, right? You basically can use that PDF as a data set almost. Then PDF to image takes your PDF and converts it to any number of, I think it's JPEG, GIF, PNG. Uh, We're actually using it to convert those to TIFFs. But these two packages have been immensely helpful and made what we had to do so much faster and easier. And of course, like always, Spacy's APIs are so polished and so nice to work with. So I just wanted to give a quick mention to those for anybody who might have to work with PDFs. Uh, check those out and they will definitely save you a lot of time and you'll feel really good about using them. So yeah, thanks Spacy. That's all I have.
0: That's it. I'm out. Did you, did you say why you're exporting these things to an image? I may have zoned out. Okay, so this is dumb, right? So we get a PDF
1: and on the first two pages is a cover page and we want to get the data off that cover page. So what we did is Mm -hmm. we said, let's extract that to text because it's selectable text and let's get the claim number off of that. And then let's save those two pages to TIFF files because we already have an OCR process that's in place and we'll just scan those pages and let it continue down its its existing path, Mm -hmm. which seems so dumb because we're already extracting the text from the PDF. Why are we taking a picture of it and then OCRing it? Like that's like completely silly. So we're changing our mind on that, but that's what we're doing right now. That's why we have those two packages. We're grabbing the text off of it, grabbing like an identifier, basically a claim identifier. And then we're using the to image to convert it to a TIFF where our OCR reader picks it up, our verifier takes it so basically it's just a little tiny tiny refactor that we have to do it'll take like a day or two but we didn't have it ready mm-hmm. so we just used the existing process and now we're going to convert it over to use everything just pushing it to text instead of uh, taking pictures of it so yeah that's why we're doing nice. that but it's going to basically save us uh, a half of employee so we're not cutting yeah, anybody nice. we're not killing anybody like you know <laughs> like sending them home without pay or anything it's just it's uh-huh. uh we can scale without having to hire more people so that's good
0: yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. we, I was potentially a, vaguely aware that this existed. It might be useful to use the PDF to image thing, especially for like when people are uploading oh, yeah. PDFs that we want to show a preview of them in our CRM. Yeah, yeah. So that, because the PDF is like, well, but you want to be able to see like, am I clicking on the right thing here? Yeah. So um, you know, might have to file this one yeah. away for later. Spassi's media library
1: actually already uses this internally. The PDF to image, it uses it. It's own, on its, you know, it utilizes its own package in their media library. So yeah, that nice. when you have an upload, it will take a PDF, convert it to an image so that you can have that image preview. But awesome. yeah. Yeah. So pretty cool. I think that's it though. I think that's it. So cool. yeah, uh, I think that's
0: all of that's all. Yeah. Got this way. Thanks
1: again to our sponsor about you for sponsoring the show today. This was episode one eleven So if you liked the show, you can find show notes for it at podcast.laravel- newscom slash 111. I'm still getting used to that because it's different than what it used to be. And again, if you like the show, feel free to rate us up in your podcatcher of choice. We always appreciate five-star reviews. And if you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at Michael Dorinda at Jake Bennett. I almost said Michael Bennett at Michael Dorinda <laughs> at Jacob Bennett or at Liv. Wish. <laughs> I wish she says, Oh my gosh, it is midnight here. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit, uh, slap happy. So All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening and hanging out with us. Uh, We appreciate all of you. So happy to be a part of this wonderful community. Hope life is treating you well. And we will see you again in two weeks. See you. Bye. Bye. Bye.